This is Entrepreneurs Get Visible, the podcast for people who want more impact, influence, and income. I'm Anna Parker-Naples, and I'll be sharing with you proven methods from leading entrepreneurs that help you get visible as an authority in your field. Because anything's possible when you get visible. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Entrepreneurs Get Visible. And I am so ridiculously schoolgirl excited today because I have someone with me whose book I have read multiple times. And many of my listeners, my audience have been reaching out to me to say that for them too, this author has changed their life in many ways, changed their businesses. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce you to Gay Hendricks, author of 40 plus books, including The Big Leap, which many entrepreneurs consider the go-to book. And also now what we're talking about today is The Zone of Genius, which is Gay's latest book that just, I believe, came out last week. Is that right? It's just been in the last couple of weeks. That's right. The Genius Zone came out last Tuesday. And so we, it's been about a week and uh, I've pretty much been living on uh, video conference ever since then doing interviews. And I'm so, so happy to be doing an interview with you in a place I love so much and have spent so many happy days, weeks and months of my life in England. So what I want to kind of get into, and I want to make sure we get to the meat and get lots of your knowledge and experience here. You have, and your wife, you have spent your life, you've dedicated your lives to conscious living. You've dedicated your lives to helping people develop body-mind intelligence, which we'll get into what that means in a moment, and developing much better relationships so that they can transform areas of their life. Now, you really are one of the pioneers for for many of the ways that we look at, you know, how you step into the kind of life you want to live. There is one of the things that you say in both The Big Leap and The Genius Zone. It's a question that you want us asking. It's a question that gets you thinking about the kind of life you want to live. And this, for you, felt like it was the turning point for everything that was in your life. So just share us what those questions are that you ask yourself, Gay. Well, I think one of the biggest questions any human being ever has the privilege of asking themselves is, how can I bring forth my natural gifts so that I can both serve myself and people around me? How can I contribute to people around me as I simultaneously deepen my relationship with myself? Another way of, there are probably a bunch of different ways of thinking of it, but another way of thinking of it is I ask people, what do you most love to do? And how can you spend more of your time doing that in a way that, again, serves you and other people at the same time? See, Anna, I think that human beings have wired into us an urge to express our genius, to bring forth our unique abilities. And, you know, life knocks us about and sends us off in different directions. And oftentimes we forget about that. But When you get up into your 30s, 40s, and 50s, it becomes more and more imperative to ask yourself those big questions because that's where the fuel is going to come from to fuel your creativity in the second half of your life. 
And Katie and I now have been, uh, well, we're just about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. So we've been together a little over, I think, almost 42 years now. And one of the things that we have learned, both in our relationship ourselves and in working with a few thousand other people in relationships, is that creativity is incredibly important as you mature. Having a relationship with your natural genius, your true creativity, as I call it, is so important because it brings about a self-renewal, constant self-renewal, so that I feel more creative now in my 70s than I did in my 50s or, or 60s. In fact, I decided to start writing mystery novels when I was 65 and now have written and published nine of them. So at a time when a lot of people are kind of sitting around uh, eating chips and uh, uh, watching days of our lives, uh, I'm feel like I'm growing in creativity more and more and more. And that's that's kind of the main teaching I want to give to people is the opportunity to get more alive and creative as you mature. And I think you've given a really stark example there. Many people in their early 70s have given up or are kind of waiting out their time. And it doesn't have to be that way. We see that with people who are much younger than that as well. We see that with people in their 20s and 30s. They're just biding their time. They don't they don't take the time to really explore some of their own gifts. Now, I actually be, believe that the reasons that many people do that is because they have been crushed in some way. There's been some criticism that they've received in their formative years that then prevents them from owning and allowing themselves to explore. And one of the things that you talk about in the zone of genius in quite some, some depth is the importance of giving space to creativity. Talk us through that. What does that mean for you? One thing it means is to give yourself physical space in the sense of actually dedicating and budgeting time to your deepest creativity, a time that you allow yourself just to flower and flourish in your natural organic creativity. And the other thing I mean by that is that probably more important than creating a physical space is creating an inner space of welcoming to your creativity, to your genius. And you see, most of us go around treating our genius, our creativity, in a way that we would never treat our best friends. Mm -hmm. You know, and a lot of people don't spend a minute a day. In fact, I talk to people all the time, like corporations sometimes send a, a CEO here and we have a special day for them where they get picked up at the airport and, you know, it's 25 grand. And so it's a very intense day of learning for them. And one of the first things we do is invite them to go in a room by themselves for 10 minutes and simply ask themselves, hmm, what do I most love to do? And then we ask them to add another question. How much time per day am I spending doing it? You see, because mm -hmm. when I first started, thinking about this, which goes back now 30 or 40 years, I always tell people it took me a year to write The Big Leap, but it took me 35 years to think about it, <laughs> thinking about it before I actually sat down and wrote it. And so one of the things I learned, I used to teach a course on developmental psychology on, on public television in Colorado. I was a university professor there for 21 years in the counseling psychology department. And I taught a course on uh, developmental psychology. And if I could summarize it in about 10 seconds, it goes like this. In your 20s, your job is to experiment and try on different things and find something that you feel suited to do. In your 30s, you 
really focus in on finding your life. So 20s, you experiment. 30s, you find your life. In your 40s, you build your life. And in your 50s, you get to enjoy your life. And <laughs> <laughs> I want you to enjoy it all along. But most of us don't kind of get around to taking a big ah, breath, you know, until later on in life when we've got some of the wrinkles out of our belly and uh, are having some success. But here's the thing. A lot of times you get stuck in what I call in the big leap, your zone of excellence. And -hmm. you don't get into that genius zone because the zone of excellence, a lot of people like you to stay there, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're very dependable and you bring in the money and you show up at the right in the right clubs and those kinds of things. But I can't count the number of very successful people I've had in here at age 40 or 45 who've told me some version of, you know, like I've been doing what I'm good at for a long time, but if I feel like I keep doing it, I'm going to keel over, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's a calling from your genius. That's an invitation to start saying, hmm, what is my genius zone? What do I most love to do? What makes the biggest contribution per time spent? The genius, the new book, I always put it like this. The big leap shows you how to make your jump into your genius zone. And the new book, The Genius Zone, shows you how to live there. It shows you how to make these little adjustments that you need to make. Just like learning to drive a car or learning to operate a computer. We don't wake up one day knowing how to be in relationships Mm -hmm. or knowing how to be in a difficult business situation or knowing how to be in touch with our genius. So a big place to start is just to get willing to have more of your genius revealed every day so that you don't get stuck in that zone of excellence. And part of this, I think, that you explore in the book is about actually allowing yourself those questions. And as we're speaking here today, and those of you watching on video will will see that Gay, as he took that, hmm, took a big, deep breath. And one of the areas of your work is about conscious breathing. It's about making sure that you're aware of where there is stagnation in your body. Maybe that's not quite the word that you use, but where there's energy that's stuck, where you're holding on to something in order to keep yourself stuck because you're scared of what's on the other side of being honest with yourself or recognizing that blockage. And what really struck me as you took that breath and actually you do actually use that exact phrasing in your audio book. Hmm. It's not just hmm. asking the question. It's the pause. It's the reflect. It's the, the permission to reflect and the permission to let your body soften before you are asking those questions. You've done an awful lot of work on breath. Tell us about what this can reveal to us. Why is this so important to you and your work? Yes. Well, the bigger picture is that Your mind, the part of your mind that can do logic and language and things like that, is a very tiny thing. It's it's about the size of a 50-cent piece, perhaps. I don't know what that would be in English, but uh, a small coin. And yet, if you look at the way the human brain is is actually structured, it's about the size and shape of a good-sized grapefruit. And it's a good analogy because the cortex, the thinking part of the brain, is really about the size of the rind of a grapefruit. But the juicy stuff inside is what has to do with our emotions, our feelings, our desires, our dreams. Those kinds of things are a much bigger part of ourselves than we usually think because, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking is very powerful and language is very powerful. And so what I do in what we do here is teach a form of 
body transformation along with the mental transformation. Because unless you can get those two things hitched up together, nothing works because the body and mind is like a big broadcasting station. And if your mind is broadcasting one thing and your body is broadcasting another thing, well, look out, you know, because that's going to be visible. And speaking of visibility, I had to make an actual conscious decision to be more visible for a kind of a strange reason. I, I mentioned that television show. They came along and asked me to, to teach a television show. Fortunately, that TV show was probably only seen by a few hundred people because it was a cable TV show. And it was a class on cable TV. But then later on, we're working one day and all our book Conscious Loving is published. And uh, we're working with about 10 couples in our office. And the phone rings and it's some person we hadn't actually heard of named Oprah Winfrey. Amazing. And uh, I was kind of a, a out in the clouds university professor at the time. Didn't watch much TV or anything like that. But suddenly we're getting invited on this show where 10 million people are going to see us. Wow. And uh, anytime people ask me, what's it like being on Oprah? I always say, go down to the coffee shop and toss off 10 espressos. And, <laughs> and then for the next hour, you'll get to feel what, <laughs> what the energy is like out there. And uh, But uh, the point I'm making is, I think that we all have a calling in a way to bring ourselves forth in the world to make ourselves more visible. Because really, what's the point of learning to feel good and clear inside unless you can share that with other people? And I think human beings have this deep yearning to feel a flow of good feeling and love inside ourselves and also a flow of connection and love with other people. And if we don't get those two basic needs met, we don't feel happy very much of the time. And so we need to get our body and mind aligned so our mind is doing the work of what we deeply feel we're here to do. So um, I, I look at it uh, that your body is your best friend because it will always signal you when you need to make some corrections. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the correction has to do with finding out what's causing pain in yourself, either psychological pain or actual physical pain. If it's physical pain, when you walk down the street, you're out of alignment in some way. And exactly the same thing happens on the emotional side. It's a problem of alignment because let's say there's something like anger in you or sadness that you haven't shared with the relevant person or you haven't taken a look at in yourself. That puts a rattle between your body and your mind because your body's holding on to all this old stuff and your mind is busily going around saying, fine, thank you. I'm fine, thank you. And those two things being out of alignment start a difficult rattle. I cannot have you here, Gay, and not tell you my own personal upper limit scenario. This is not news to my podcast listeners. They will have heard me mention how listening to your book made me realize something very important several times over. So I, as I've created various levels of success in this, the field that I'm currently in, and also a previous field where I was on the red carpets winning awards in Hollywood... I was noticing that a lot of headaches were kicking in, a lot of migraines were kicking in. And I was kind of telling myself, well, you know, I'm in my early 40s. That's because of the time of my life. It must be hormonal. But there was something in your book about the fact that often we sabotage or often something illness-wise or we have an argument and then we'll focus on how bad our relationship is come at a time when we're about to make some major breakthrough or we've just made it and we're going to pull ourselves back down. 
And through doing, through through listening to, I think it was probably the second time I listened to The Big Leap, actually. It really made me stop in my tracks with, why am I letting myself go to bed for three days? Mm. I'm not, the pain is there, right? It's true that it's there, but really what's going on? And when I backtracked, I realized when it had started and it had started the evening where I was winning an award and I was being about to be called. I knew I had that feeling that I was, I was going to win. And it was an international award for being an inspirational person. And I was winning alongside some like Adele and Rio Ferdinand and people that I just thought, these are known celebrities. What right do I have to be there at the same time as being excited about it? And literally that night, my migraine started. We actually left wow. the event early. And I was like, that's nuts. When I pin, could pinpoint where it came from. And now I'm a big, I, I'm, I'm fully, fully there with the whole, your body does things to try and protect you or stop you. And in fact, as many of my listeners will know, I, the reason I do what I do now, trying to reach people, inspire people, was because I was told 11 and a half years ago that I'd never walk again. And therefore, I thought I'd never achieve anything. But I really felt, knowing the work you do, and as I've gone further into some of how our body reacts, some of the somatic stuff, some somatic learnings, and how the mind channels things, I think I put myself there. Let's talk then about the kind of scenarios that you see in your clients or that you've experienced yourself that have been really extreme and the blockages you're seeing when people don't allow the flow. Yes, well, that's a great example you gave because actually we, back in the 80s and 90s, did a lot of clinical work with um, people with headaches, migraines, as well as tension headaches. And I had a client once that showed me exactly how it worked. Her boss would come in she was a very high person in a bank, and but her boss would come roaring in the door at 5.15 and say, you know, Martha, I need this and this and this and this for the board meeting tomorrow morning. Can you stay a little late today and do it? And she would say yes, but her body would register anger because it was a pattern and she didn't know how to confront her boss about it, you know, without setting off a chain reaction in him and she didn't know how he was going to respond to that. So basically, look at what happened there. In her mind, it's preferable to feel the pain of a migraine mm. than the fear of speaking to her boss. And so with migraine, you always have to look at anger and fear mm. as being those two emotions that are often concealed under a migraine. And not just migraine, but back pain and other types of body issues as well. But, uh, you know, in the new book, The Genius Zone, I have a quote in there that I got actually out of one of the apocryphal gospels, one of the books that didn't make it into the official Bible, but it has some really great stuff in it. And one of the things it says is that if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. But if you don't bring forth what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. And I've seen that so often, like you brought forth the thing that was in within you, and now you get to use that to fuel your genius. Blessings upon you for doing that. That's what I want everybody to do. I want them to open up to and acknowledge those kinds of old things that are in the things I'm scared about, things I'm angry about, things I'm hurt about, things I don't know how to express. I want you to turn all of that into an attractor field 
for more and more genius in your life. Because the very stuff that people stuff down in themselves is the fuel for genius. It's exactly the same stuff. So how do we know then? How can someone know whether they are coasting in excellence, which, and let's, let's be honest, excellence some people don't even get there. Some people yeah. are just kind of trapped in competence or incompetence. If you're in excellence, how do you know there's more? And how do you get there? Yes. Well, the symptoms of being in the zone of excellence too long is fatigue. Mm-hmm. You feel like you are already kind of tired when you wake up in the morning. That's one of the symptoms of being in your excellent zone too long. Time for you to get busy about opening up to genius. Another thing is if you have, well, let's face it, it often happens around midlife, around 38 to 42, and there is when people get very disenchanted oftentimes with being in their excellent zone. Because like I said, we have a calling in everybody, we, we have a calling to express our genius. And if we don't do that, we're leaving stuff behind in there. And the thing is, also, Anna, is that from midlife on, from, say, 38 to 40 on for the rest of your life, every breath you take is a choice between creativity or stagnation. Mm-hmm. Creativity or stagnation? What are you breathing for? And I get people in here all the time who are maybe very successful at age 50, but they've stayed in that excellent zone too long. They haven't tapped. They've been, you mentioned despair a little while ago. Despair can set in very quickly after midlife unless you constantly choose and re-choose creativity, opening up more to your genius. Mm -hmm. And I think what's important about that creativity is that it's not about perfection in creativity. It's about creating to open, explore and expand. And I I do want to to flag up one of the phrases that you, that in your books, you say that you, you like to start your day with, I don't know if it's every day or, or, or what, but you're advising, I went the, the exact phrase is how can I expand and open up to more creativity uh, I've, I've got it written out. I can't find it, but you are, how can I live my life? So I'm expanding my own life up to support yes. others to do the same. Yes. The way I put it originally in the big leap, the idea was I expand every day in love, abundance, and creativity as I inspire others to do the same. That is my life purpose. I hatched that life purpose when I was in my thirties and it served me my whole life because every time I make decisions out of that intention, great stuff happens. Great stuff happens. Even if it's a bit scary <laughs> to start with, there is good stuff on the other side. So, Gay, yes. what you asked me to ask you a question that you might not have been asked before because you've been doing a lot of interviews lately. Yes. So I'm going to ask you, what's the thing you find really hard to admit about your very public work to do with opening up in relationships? What is the... Th- what do you find very hard to admit? about being that public about it? Oh, okay, great question. I haven't thought about it in a long time. Well, when Katie and I first got together, we were asked right away because we were a a couple who worked together. And that's kind of rare, you know, especially two people in our line of work that come together and work together. And so, you know, it's kind of like the Olympics of human relationship is Mm -hmm. working with your married partner because there's a lot of stuff that often comes up about that. So we decided 
we were going to lead absolutely transparent lives so that there is nothing that we ever had going on that we weren't willing to sit down and talk about out in public. And that really served us. <laughs> we had no idea eventually we would be sitting on a stage talking about what happened one time when I felt attracted to another woman, you know, 15 years mm -hmm. into our relationship, how we, fortunately, we wended our way through that in a very conscious way. So it didn't cause any ultimate ripples in a relationship. But, you know, to, to talk about stuff like that in public in front of 10 million people, it's not everybody's cup of tea. You know, I remember my brother calling me saying, are you out of your mind? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's quite a bit older than I am. He's a little, uh, he's in his, uh, he's eight years older. So he has a different generational take on a lot of the stuff I do. But I figured, why not? I'm here. I'm doing what I do. If I conceal, what am I teaching people? Well, I don't want to teach people to conceal. Uh, life proceeds magnificently as long as you do three big things. Feel all your feelings, tell all the truth, and keep all your agreements. Anytime you vary from those, karma starts. Because if there's something you don't tell the truth about that's a big deal, a fact, or a feeling, uh, that starts a ripple through the relationship and through the business and through the life. And through and yourself. To your, First and foremost, to yourself. Yeah, and that's where all the ripples begin. But those are lifetime skills that take a lifetime to get good at. Katie and I, when we first got together, we made actual commitments to being honest. We'd look each other in the eye. I commit to being absolutely transparent with you. And I commit to listening to you, whatever you say. Now, were we always able to execute that flawlessly? Heck no. There was a learning curve. It took us years to get to the point where we were being absolutely transparent about our feelings. You know, I had a hard time admitting when I got scared of things, you know, because I'm a big six foot tall 180 pound alpha male. And it wasn't easy for me uh, to say, I feel hurt right now. Or, I feel scared right now. It was very hard for Katie to talk about things she was angry about. She'd, she'd come from a family that was very repressed in that area. And so we had a learning curve on all three of those things. But I'll tell you, once we got good at it, it probably took us the better part of 10 years to be able to execute always being honest in our speaking, always taking responsibility rather than blaming, always committing to our creativity and executing, doing our creativity. You see, if you don't do your own creativity, you take it out on the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I know I've done it and I've seen my clients do it. The only solution to that is deeply committing to your own creativity and practicing it out in the world by actually devoting time to it. And Fortunately, it doesn't take much. You don't have to do 18 hours a day. You know, a little bit of creativity goes a long way. In fact, See here that, we ask people to just start with 10 minutes. And that's that's one of the things that you get people to think about in the book. What would it be like if you committed one hour a day to getting and being in your zone of genius, to being in your genius? So for so to, to wrap up then, Gay, for someone who thinks, I think there's something more for me. I think I've I've stagnated. I think that there's some frustration. I'm waking up, I'm tired. I'm waking up and I'm not jumping with joy at the day ahead of me, at the life ahead of me. What's your advice to someone in that scenario? Make a commitment to enhancing your creativity more and more every day. 
you don't know how that's going to express itself, but just make a commitment and open up a space inside of commitment to say, yes, I choose every day to be more open to my genius, more open to my true creativity. Just setting that positive thought in motion opens a gateway. And then you start thinking more in terms of, hmm, how could I enhance that? How could I spend even more time in my genius zone? The book, the new book, The Genius Zone, is actually taken from transcripts and things I was doing with clients in my office. So it's like a one-to-one conversation. That's the reason I recommend uh, sit down with the book for an hour or two when you get it. You can go read another book at the beach with your uh, feet propped up, but this book I want you to actually do. And that's its main value. You'll actually sit down with it for an hour and do the practices. Hoo-wee! You know, I'm getting so many uh, just in the past week that the book has been out. I've been getting some of the most dazzling fan mail I've ever gotten in my life. It's so important. We've just had one of our listeners, our viewers now just said, this has just made me pick up my guitar. And the thing is, you sit with that guitar, you get in tune with what you're really feeling, you have a little bit of joy, you open yourself up and then boom, new doors and avenues that bring you more satisfaction come into your life. Well, Gay, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm sure that this has been so useful for my listeners. And if you are listening today, then go and buy and read and listen to the new book, The Zone of Genius by Gay Hendricks. Thank you so much. The Genius Zone. The Genius Zone. (laughs) (laughs) What a mistake to make. Okay, go and listen to The Genius Zone. And thank you so much for coming on today, Gay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Get Visible. To get your free checklist on how to raise your profile and to find out about our community, go to annaparkernaples.co.uk forward slash get visible.